Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and all of your beautiful people that your children that you have brought here today. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of order and that your order is beautiful and perfect and you just set everything into its proper place and we just thank you for that, Lord, and for trusting in you to do that for the benefit of your body to grow your church to help us to focus on the kingdom, Lord. And I thank you for the anointing that rests on your word and on me. I just ask that you use me today, Lord, to edify, to build up your children and everyone who hears this message either today or by some other means in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I was reading in this journal from last... uh, from a decade ago or so, and I had been in ministry for a few years already. But I, I saw uh, one day, my entry was that I had decided to forgive everyone of everything, <laughs> basically. And one of the interesting things that I remember that I saw there was that I included myself and God. Sometimes we're mad at God, and we may not even know it or realize it or admit it. And a lot of times we're really holding things against ourselves. We're really harder on ourselves than anyone else most of the time. We may not be as vocal about it. (laughs) But anyway, those are important things, and... Because last week, that was part of the message, you know. We, we're talking about ranting in life, which is kind of meant to turn into a series, doesn't mean to, but how we're called by God to reign in life, to, to rule and to dominate, to have dominion over this life. It's not, we're not supposed to be under the circumstances. We're supposed to be above only and not beneath. Amen. And He's given us all the tools to do that through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we've been exploring that more and more. And last week, I, I talked about the, I continued on with the believer's authority and how, how based out of Mark eleven twenty four, where Jesus said to, to speak to our mountains. And, uh, and when, when we pray to believe that what we have prayed for, we have when we pray and we shall have it. So getting our minds wrapped around that sort of backwards thing in the kingdom is hard, but it's the way that it works. It's a spiritual law that's in place, and it's always going to be like that as long as this earth is here. So just like the law of sowing and reaping. So we need to learn how to cooperate with God's laws to benefit from them. That's what they're there for. Welcome, welcome. So if we learn to cooperate, we'll benefit greatly. And if we don't, it just means that we won't. It doesn't mean that God's mad at us or he's withholding anything. It's already there on account for us. We just need to learn how to write the checks. Amen. But I talked about that all of the things uh, regarding our authority in Christ are are determined, uh, are accessed by faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the hand that reaches out and takes hold of those things that have been provided by grace. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the Bible calls it. But I have other ways to describe it that kind of help us get our mind wrapped around it. And uh, that one, uh, the hand that reaches out and takes hold of the things provided by grace, that comes from uh, Daddy Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, who's passed on. He was a great man of God. And our faith becomes effective, the Bible says, by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in us. In us through Christ, you see, through the atonement. It means we see it, we read it, we believe it, the Holy Spirit inspires it, ignites it. Hey, I have this as part of my inheritance. And then we believe it and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we, by our faith becomes effectual, effective. By acknowledging all the great things that are in us and that we have as part of our inheritance. So we talked about that. And then I went somewhere, just kind of a a little rabbit trail, to include in that repentance is essential. 
Somewhere most churches don't tread these days because the Western culture doesn't like to be told what to do. <laughs> it's part of the problem, really, why we don't see more uh, wonderful things that God wants us to have is really because of our microwave mentality and our entitlement mentality and all those negative things that we've sort of gotten into, we need to grow out of as we mature. Uh, but I told you that, that, you know, really it's one of the underlying themes throughout the new covenant is repent unto and then believe. And I showed where John the Baptist did it. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it all the way up to the revelation. You know, so uh, there's no denying it because I laid it out in scripture. And I showed all the different things that it's uh, it's good to stay, have keep a repentant heart. Now, remind remind you that you're forgiven of all your sins. It's already it's already done deal when you receive Jesus. Everything you've ever done or will do, past, present, and future. You better hope He can forgive a sin in the future because all of your sins were in the future when He paid for them. Okay. <laughs> I don't think too many of you are close to two thousand years old. <laughs> if you say so, if you say so, yeah. Very, 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 you need to repent. You see, you just repent of that. Just, and see, people think of repent as just some kind of old religious term. It's all repentance is is just changing your mind about something to do with God that you were thinking wrong with about the opposite of God. You say, oh, you look into the righteous mirror of the Word of God and say, oh, whoopsie daisy. I was, uh, <laughs> that's not how I was believing or, you know, it's, I, I'm going to agree with you, God. Wow, it's done. You know, it's, God is cool, man. And uh, I, I mean, I will tell, it's just, you should talk to God the way, you know, with respect and reverence, but you don't have to speak to him in the King James English. He'll just sit there and look at you like, what are you doing? You know, sometimes I just go to him, I say, Lord, I really dropped the ball on that one. He say, all right, come on, let's go. And, you know, don't bring it up again. Because he won't. <laughs> and when he says he blotted it out, that well, he's telling you that because it means he can't see it anymore. He's, he could if he wanted to, but he's chosen not to. That's a covenant, a promise, and he can't lie. Amen. That's how we're supposed to be when we forgive, by the way. Hmm. You know, <laughs> hmm. You should really forgive somebody. You know how you can test that? You, you put a little pressure on that situation. Let that person fire you up one time again, make you good and mad, and real, just be in the wrong totally. And you'll say, "Well," <laughs> and you'll bring it up if you haven't really forgiven. I'm, I'm not trying to get you there. I just want you. <laughs> The reason God wants us to live a repentant life is because it keeps us close. It keeps our conscience clear for us. Because, see, we can't truly operate in faith while our conscience is bothering us about stuff. You see, he wants us to see sheep were never meant to carry packs on their back. And I try to teach these things not to upset people or make them angry. We're supposed to have a. We're supposed to be on the same page, of one mind, of one accord. There's supposed to be unity in the church. Jesus prayed for that on that fateful night, and he's going to have it. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's a proverb. It's Proverbs 6. There's a scripture in there. It talks about seven things God hates. And the last thing, the icing on the cake, the seventh one, is those who cause strife amongst the brethren. And then the Bible talks to us about what to do about those sort of folks. Because it breaks your heart. You love those people. You want them to just repent. You want them to just get it and go, hey man, okay, I'm going to get over myself. And jump on board and just love and learn and serve. But if they don't, there's nothing we can do except do what the Bible says to do. Anyway, 
We talked about the blood of Jesus because we're talking about reigning in life, all the things we have at our disposal through God, and we're just exploring them sort of. I have a bunch, you know, and I've, I've gotten through some of them. Last week we talked about the blood of Jesus, didn't we? Revelations chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 talks about three things that we have because we're going to encounter problems or attacks from the enemy in this life. Ignoring that just means that we're going to lose the battle. So it's way better to learn his tactics and learn how, how to fight against him. Because you have all the authority over him and if he can deceive you into believing you don't, you'll lose but he has nothing on you, child of God. Amen. You're the one with the power. He's trying to get you to relinquish your power to him by agreeing with him. You see, you're a creative being just like your father in heaven who created everything, including us, with his words. And it's all held together by his words. And, and he wants you to do help him to continue to create. And when Jesus sat down, he was finished. He handed over authority to us, the church. And now he wants us to continue creating and building the beautiful kingdom of God. If the devil can trick you, he'll get you to do some creating for him too. Which is not creation. He never created anything. He is a destroyer. Amen. Okay. We learned through the blood that... The weapons that we have, there's threefold in those scriptures from Revelation. But there's the blood of the Lamb, the Word of God, and the testimony of believers. So basically us saying with our mouths what boldly, what God says about us and what we um, have through the blood of Jesus. What it's done for us on our behalf through the blood of Jesus. All my sins are forgiven. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed from the hand of the devil. As I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses me from all sin. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I had never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart unto God. That's powerful. You should be saying those things. Amen. You don't have to say it every five minutes. Just thank God because it's continuous done. Thank Him for it. And then I ended with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. We're showing where Jesus actually entered in. All the old temple and all that that Moses created was just a replica of what he had seen in heaven. It was a smaller one, but he made it just like God had shown him and he'd seen in heaven. There's a real temple there. And the, the mercy seat where they used to sprinkle the blood of, of bulls and goats and things like that to cl- purge people for another year of their sins temporarily while the law was going on for 1,500 years. Jesus did away with that by, by fulfilling it. He actually went into the throne room of heaven, into the temple of heaven, and he took his blood... And he put it on that mercy seat, right in the presence of God, the Father, all the holy angels, and everyone. And now it's done. And now as you've accepted Christ, God looks at you through that blood. He sees Jesus Christ. He sees pure gold. He sees someone who is justified just as if I'd never sinned. Amen. Today I want to talk about another weapon that we've been giving to help us reign in life. And that is the name of Jesus. And so this is one that is, uh, is really caught on. You know, it's sort of popular. In the name of Jesus. You hear it a lot. And I'm not mocking anyone. I, I know my tone. And sometimes I have to be careful because I can be quite sarcastic when I'm not trying to be. <laughs> and I don't mean any harm. I love everyone. <laughs> One of my minister friends in Florida this morning sent me a text early this morning. He said, he said, uh, you're going to have an awesome day today, mighty man of God in church. And he says, you, you have everything a great minister needs. You have a tough skin and a... Soft heart. 
Uh, my sister used to tell people we'd go out and she'd stick me on everybody. She was one of those troublemakers. And then she'd just stick me on them and I, <laughs> I just got here. I hadn't even had a can of personality yet. <laughs> and then she'd sit and say, just hit him in. Don't hurt my baby brother. Just hit him in the head. You can't hurt his head. <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you brought me here through it all. I want to start reading to you in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Come on in, Lord. Thank you. The only problem wrong with that statement is he was already here. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I was just going to read verses 9 through 11. This is, uh, remember my 911, my 911. This is... Remember when I explored all the 911s I could, 911s? So this is, this is part of the 911 stuff, and it's great. So we're going to get to chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 9 through 11. But I have to back up because it's so good. Uh, let's just start at the beginning of the second chapter. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, capital S, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There's our unity. It's all based on what Christ has done. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was is yours in Christ Jesus. See, in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. In your born-again spirit, which you can't discern with your natural senses, so don't think that you didn't get saved or you didn't get it because it's in your spirit. That's why you have to look in here to find out, because His Word is spirit and they are truth. Amen? Find out who you are, what you have, and then the Holy Spirit will confirm it to you. Amen. But you do have the mind of Christ. That's what he's saying there. Let each of you look not... Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He totally set it aside for our benefit. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, here we go. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, you see the therefore, find out what it's there for. Why? Because he totally humbled himself. And God is the one who brings promotion. You see that? When we humble ourselves and we put our faith and our trust in God, he's the one who brings promotion. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that's Jesus, the name that is above every name. Here we go. There's that name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So we have the name of Jesus. And we can say now with great authority, in the name of Jesus, I reject this, sickness, or I speak to this mountain. Be moved. Was he literally talking about mountains? Well, perhaps. But the mountains in our life are the obstacles that confront us, right? The sicknesses, the strife, the poverty, the problems, the hurts and pains. Everything. People say, how do I do that? I say, how would you describe it to your friend on the phone what's happening to you? Whatever you called it to them, that's how you call it into the spiritual realm. And you say, thing, <laughs> pain, hurt, broken relationship, 
in the name of Jesus. You know, be healed. Be gone. Be blessed. But it can't just be a mantra. This is a cool thing to say. Because sometimes we can get so familiar with something, like John 3.16, that you forget to read it. You know, have you ever slowed down and read John 3.16 again? Or do you just kind of, I know that one already. You know, I see it at all football games. Have you ever have you ever slowed down? I mean, you could just take that scripture and meditate on it for a year straight, and man, you would just be super blessed, super super blessed, because it's true. So it has to be something that's mixed with faith. You see, you say none of the truth and promises of God really were gonna are gonna benefit you. To the extent that God wants them to, if you do not mix them with faith. So that's why faith is so important. And it's not just a natural response. It's easier, it's more natural in this world to be negative than it is to be positive. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Easy to frown. Easy to be critical. Oh boy. Some people have a PhD in criticism. They say, oh, I, I really have a <laughs> great, I operate in the gift of discernment. Uh, uh, no, sir, that's uh, the gift of criticism. <laughs> but you need revelation of your authority to use the name of Jesus and the power it wields for it to be more effective. Otherwise, you won't understand how your your faith is backing it up. You have to see that. You have to believe that, you know? And then that once your faith is behind it, then angels are going to work inside of that situation. You're, you're empowering angels, holy angels, who who see the face of God. What are they what what are they you don't command angels. God does. But when you speak the word of God, that God is a, that word is alive and active and sharper than, and they go to work in that situation. When you speak the ugly, they, they used to say, "Quit saying what you see; you'll have what you say." People come up, you know, in the prayer line or whatever. If I go minister somewhere, prophesying or whatever, praying for the sick, and they, here I got this thing. Look, I might like, put your shirt down. I don't want to see that. You want me to get into unbelief with you? I have to go pray that off before I can pray for you. <laughs> so you have that weapon, the name of Jesus. But you have to see, you have to, I have seen people that use it so casually. And maybe they're standing and operating in faith. And I've seen other people who say, okay, in a minute... I'm going to pray for that. And they're, they're getting ready to say in the name of Jesus. And they're going to mean it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that? And you know the difference. When somebody's praying a prayer of faith. Hmm. There's an example here of something. Because my, my point here is that if you don't. Just like all the, all the things that God's given us. To use for our benefit, like, and I use the the armor in Ephesians six, like the shield of faith. And I told you the other week, if if, if uh, everything that happens is God's will, that, that that teaching of sovereignty that is in the church so much, which is 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 a lie of the devil, that God is responsible for every little thing that that happens. I was in a church with about five thousand, seven thousand people one time, and a preacher said that. No matter where you are today, if you're here today, God's, God's will, no matter what happens, He's in control. And I, I, I stood halfway up before I set myself back down to tell Him, no! <laughs> because, you see, that was great for all the people sitting in church that day. It made them all feel warm and fuzzy. But what about the person sitting in the crack house downtown? 
Is that where God wanted them to be that day too? No. It sure isn't. So, anyway, I wanted to just say, just like with all the things that God gives us, if we don't use it, I, my point was, if so if everything that happens is God's will, then what's the shield of faith for? Because it says it's to extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one, of the enemy. So if you're not supposed to, if it's all God's will that, that, that you're getting sick or he's putting sickness on you to teach you something or divorce or poverty or any of the ugly things that are of the devil, then why would you use a shield of faith? <laughs> and then even if you have it, if you just leave it laying on the ground, you can't blame God, see? For things coming. Same thing here. If you don't use the name of Jesus, it's not going to be effective on your behalf. And I'm going to use an example here out of uh, the book of Acts, chapter 3. It's a really cool story. The beginning of Acts, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. So he was he was crippled and every day his loved ones or some people that cared about him took him and put him by the temple in a spot that he had picked out, you know, like people have their own corners and they'll fight over, you know. And, uh, and then he would, he would sit there and beg and that's how he made his living. They even had special clothing that they wore. But anyway... They put him there to to beg. And uh, Peter and John, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and he asked them for alms. He asked them, you know, for some money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He thought he was going to give them money. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That's an awesome, awesome event in the early days of the church. But... Talking about the name of Jesus, which is what Peter used. What if Peter and John just said, we don't have any money? Which they did say, but they didn't stop there, did they? What if they just said, hey, we don't have any money? And they just went on to prayer. It wouldn't have helped anybody, would it? No. So, that <laughs> Peter heard God. He was in tune. With the Holy Spirit, he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And he said, what I have, I give you. Peter was no different than you. God's no respecter of persons. He did it for one, he did it for, do it for you. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Matter of fact, you have everything that Jesus had while he was here. I just told you, he laid aside all of his kingly privileges and everything else. You never see him doing a single miracle until he was 30 years old when he was baptized in the River Jordan by his cousin John. And he was also baptized in the Holy Ghost at the same time because that's when the dove came and lit on him. Like a dove. That was the Holy Ghost. You notice they didn't pray for this guy? How... How arrogant, how audacious. What I have, I give you. Didn't even pray for him. Peter was not, at this point in his life, audacious or arrogant anymore. Peter had been a little bit like us. <laughs> but he was over himself after they had their breakfast on the beach, believe me. And the Lord restored him. Peter was crucified upside down alongside his wife. He asked for that because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. He didn't feel worthy. So Peter was over himself. 
He just knew what he had as his inheritance, and he knew what really his responsibility, yours and mine as well, was because Jesus sat down because he was finished and he gave the work to us to do. Amen. Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do, and even greater works because I go to my Father. So he's going to send the Holy Spirit, which he did, which had been prophesied by the prophet Joel, and on the day of Pentecost it came, didn't it? And now everyone who'd been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you have everything that Peter had, who they used to lay people, sick people on the streets, hoping his shadow would just fall on them and heal them. Well, you say, well, if I have everything, then how come my shadow is not healing everybody? (laughs) Because he had the same measure of faith that you do. But, you know, there's a lot of guys that have pretty big muscles. You might know some of them. And, you know, Don and I and Joey, we have the same bicep muscles they do. Why aren't ours as big as theirs? Don't say anything about steroids. <laughs> because we haven't exercised them as much. This the, that's the truth, right? Same thing with our spiritual characteristics. You can get a lot of spiritual truths from natural examples. That's why Jesus always taught in parables about things we could understand from natural things to explain spiritual truths or spiritual laws, you see? Well, look in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. Jesus was coming to the end of his ministry, which was only three and a half years. And he had resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to fulfill his destiny, his purpose in life. And he knew what it was. It was going to be ugly. But he looked past the cross and he saw you and me. And because of that... He did it. But he only had the 12 disciples. He was, they were getting rejected a little bit here and there. He was was bound to have been feeling the urgency, the sense of urgency and pressure to get the ministry done and to be more effective. And he, and he, he put 72 more people out there to go and minister into the towns around there. And this is where we are. Luke 10. Verses 17 through 19. They had sent 72 people out to go heal the sick, open blind eyes, preach the gospel. And it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. He's not talking about bugs. He's talking about demonic entities. And over all the power of the enemy. That's why I always say, you're not, you don't have charge over Satan. He's entitled to be here for a time. But all of his works, all of his plans against you and against others, you have authority over those things. Over all the power, all the works of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The power in the name of Jesus and the disciples' faith in that name made the demons subject to them. Right? In Acts, I'll show you where this was demonstrated again, only there was something missing. I want you to recognize that. I'm trying to drive this point home, folks, because I wanted to show you how important it is that you have to get this right. Because how many of you don't want to walk around in greater authority authority over the works of the enemy? Okay. I, I might have said that so confusingly that you don't know the answer yes or no. I know, I know what you want. Never mind. It's a rhetorical question. So we're learning how to cooperate with God's spiritual laws. Amen. Let's see somebody who got it wrong. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 17. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, (laughs) fancy name, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus 
they had seen that this works, right? Using the name of Jesus, they saw Paul doing it. To invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> and so seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. So they went to a guy's house to do an exorcist, uh, exorcism, and they said, by the, by, in the name of the Jesus who Paul proclaims, and they commanded him to leave. And here's what, look what happened. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> he beat the tar out of them boys. And left them wounded and bleeding and naked running down the street. And if you ever witnessed anyone, you've probably seen The Exorcist or whatever in the old days, but if you ever witnessed anyone with a demonic spirit, they can be very strong. They, they can. That's, so this, I get this, right? So that's what happened to these guys. In verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So they started respecting his name a little bit more. So what happened was these certain Jews, they called on the name of Jesus. They were trying to cast out demons, and it didn't work because they had not put their faith in that name, right? You see? And the demon knew it. They were professors, not possessors of Jesus. They didn't belong to Jesus. They hadn't put faith in his name. They, they didn't know him as Lord and Savior. They were just some vagabond exorcists who used incantations to, to bring deliverance to people who were demon-possessed. But folks, it's all about the real Jesus. To the exclusion of all others. I knew an evangelist who went to India, and uh, his story was, man, people were getting saved. They were, you know, the meetings, people walk for days in Africa and India, places like that. They're just desperate for something. Anyway, they were, he said, they're getting saved by the thousands. So many cards being filled out. So many people saying the prayer. And the Lord told him, you have to change the... The, the prayer. You have to make it only about me. In other words, these people had 700 or 7,000 gods. One more, why not? And so he went back the next meeting and he prayed for them to accept Jesus to the exclusion of all others and very... Uh, he went, He's like, dog. But that doesn't work. I talk to people all the time that, that sort of have that sort of same mentality. It's like, oh no, we believe we also believe in Jesus. Even the Muslims will tell you this. But they they don't call it they stop short of calling him God, you see. And that ain't gonna work. He didn't come down here just to be one of the ways <laughs> folks. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. You know, there's a story. Um, have you ever heard of Josephus? There was a historian from the first century, and a lot of people like to read his really Very, very interesting. He was a very bright person, and he kept a lot of accurate records. But he wrote about an exorcism that he witnessed in the presence of uh, Vespasian, who was a... Uh, one of the one of the Roman emperors in uh, around AD 69. So he saw this exorcist take place in front of Vespasian and a bunch of his soldiers. And the exorcist supposedly he followed a, a ritual for deliverance that was passed all the way down from King Solomon. So throughout history, people have always tried to resist demonic spirits, but as the example in Acts shows. 
only Jesus and those who have received his life are successful. It, there may have been some effectiveness of it during King Solomon's day because God gave uh, different dispensations of power and of the Holy Spirit, you know, to, to help people because he's merciful and loving. But now he's made a more excellent way and it's always about Jesus. But demonic beings are real. We have to, we have to know that. People who think that demonic spirits are just some kind of superstition they really don't believe the word of God, not in its entirety, because the Gospels alone contain over 90 references to the devil or demons. And uh, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.12, remember the scripture, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's why we always tell people, listen, your, your battle is not against your brother, or your mother, or your friend, your sister. It's really the enemy that's influencing them. So hate the sin, love the sinner. That's the difference in Christianity. It's just supernatural life that we live. And so we can still love the person and pray for them that because the best thing to happen to your worst enemy is God get a hold of them. Amen. But anyway, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but who do we wrestle against? Principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil and demons, they do exist. They're organized army out to get you. And just not believing it is just going to cause you to suffer more loss. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to talk about the devil all day. I'm going to make that point here in just a second. <laughs> because all believers in Jesus share in the same victory over Satan and all of his demons. Okay? The name of Jesus isn't magic, though. It's not uh, something that works like a charm. <laughs> Wearing a 12-ounce gold uh, cross around your neck doesn't scare the devil at all. No more than the Bible on your nightstand does. Huh? It's the rhema word. It's not the logos. This Bible here, he knows it as well as I do. Way better. Unfortunately. But when I take my authority and I wrap faith around the promises and the provision of God in this word and I speak it out, it scares the hell out of the devil. Amen. Some people, though, <laughs> focus more on the devil than they do on Jesus. And this is a problem. It can actually bring more demonic activity into your life. I remember a story about, you know the band Leonard Skinner? Yes. Man, so good, man. <laughs> I used to get up at karaoke and sing Curtis Lowe. <laughs> but man, you know, I, you know, I'm not the judge, thank God, so I don't know. I like to think something good happened when, when old Ronnie was going down, right? But they had a they had a little. What made them so good is they were so dedicated. You know, they were just old country boys. They had nothing. They met out in the in the woods in this old shack that somebody let them use out in the swamps, and it was miserable out there. Mosquitoes and heat and and uh, alligators and stuff. They called it the Hell House, and they paint, colored it red, but. They, it's where they made us where Freebird and all that came from out there on that little in that little shack. And then they had to go on the road and when they got their uh, record deal, they were they couldn't get down to the hell house where they could make their good music. That's why that third album suffered so much. They couldn't really practice and do all the things that they were used to do in their dedication and they were partying, doing drugs and all that stuff too much and Anyways, one, they went and saw the Exorcist as a, you know, just one of their downtimes when they're out there in L.A. And one of the guys really got freaked out by it, you know. And he starts saying his wife was a demon, and his <laughs> and all the other people were had demons and this and that. And then they went overseas, and uh, Ronnie was 
was uh, he wasn't a big guy, but he was uh, he was a he was a tough guy. And he used to keep them all in line, and he'd whoop them in a heartbeat. And he he might even have a little. <laughs> He's, he he'd start an interview, really loving, crying, soft spoken, drinking whiskey the whole time, and then and then by the time it was over, he goes, "Now let me ask you a effing question. How the hell you think you're going to make it to that door? You know, <laughs> so he was a tough guy, and he'd whoop all of them. But one of the guys, that one that freaked out when they saw the exorcist when they were overseas, he he got a full blown demonic possession. He was possessed. And even Ronnie wouldn't go in the room. He was hiding behind the curtains. And uh, so if you read about the guy that left the band and they can't decide, no one says if he was fired or if it was mutual agreement because of some things going on in his family. That's what it was, was a possession. He was demonically, uh, you know, he, had, <laughs> he had a demon. I don't know why I told that story. <laughs> But they're real is what my point is. But see, he started focusing on that stuff and thinking about it and talking about it all the time. And next thing you know, it opened the door, plus probably all the other things they were doing. You know, I used to do a lot of things I shouldn't. And I mean, I'm, I think I, you know, the Word had to drive a bunch of, bunch of them suckers out of me, I'm sure. The Word itself will do that if you allow it over time. Or it can be done by a minister on the spot. But we don't want to focus on it. The best Jesus said in Luke ten twenty. Remember, I started off in Luke chapter ten, talking about when the seventy two disciples came back and they were saying, "Wow, even the even the demons listen to us." And he's like, "I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning." And he says, "You know, you have you have authority over all the works of the devil." Nothing's going to hurt you. And then this is what he said in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, that ain't a big deal. I'm God. I have a friend that was doing a, a prayer vigil at University of Texas. Many, many years ago, and there had been some demonic stuff going on in that dorm or whatever, where he was. And about about four o'clock in the morning, three or four o'clock in the morning, something started choking him, to trying to choke him to death. It was a demon, right? And when he finally got loose from it, he went, jumped in his car, and took off and he was about backwards and he was about to go forward and he heard the Lord say there's no armor for you back and he's like what and he started thinking about it he thought about the armor that God talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and he said yeah there's no armor for my back that means if I'm running away he went back in there and he used his authority in the name of Jesus, rebuked him and fought him. He said, by the time the sun came up, that, that place was pure and he felt the peace of God in there. And that was the smart thing to do. Because he said, if you really realize they're not these giant monsters with horns and all that, they're just little bitty things. And they're like... You know, like uh, Kenneth Hagin described when he was talking with the Lord, and this one one's like a little miniature monkey just kept going between them and making all this noise, and he couldn't hear the Lord. And finally he said, Shut up! Get out of here! And the thing took off. And Jesus told him, I'm glad you did that, because if you hadn't, I wouldn't have been able to. In other words, when he sat down, he was finished. He gave his authority to us, and he was telling Kenneth, Had you not used the authority that I had given you, it would have just kept saying that. But it was nothing. He said, there's nothing. After that, he wasn't afraid of them anymore. So the best defense, because Jesus said, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't make such a big deal that the demons are subject to you. That shouldn't even be a surprise to you. That's who you are now. That's who you are. You need to get that in your head. But be more excited that your names are written in the book of life. 
That's the greater miracle. That's the bigger thing. So the best defense against the devil is to be so God-centered that you give no place to the devil in your life. You see? Mm. David said in Psalm 139, verse 8, If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there, talking to God. So anytime Satan's oppression is there, guess who's also there with you? Ah. Because didn't Jesus say, they say in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So you've got a sidekick who is the creator of everything. The all-knowing, all-powerful one. Amen. A paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has come alongside you and is here to take a hold together with you against everything and to do everything and to be everything He's called you to be and to do in this life. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. Amen. A lot. It's just a matter of which one we're focusing on. Focus on the devil is a trick of the devil. Mm Mm-hmm. Your ability to live the Christian life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah. It's not your ability, but your availability to Him that makes you different. And it will make a difference in your life. Paul said, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10 So he's saying that when he recognized his inability and relied on the Lord's ability... That's when the Lord's strength flowed through him, you see. Pride, on the other hand, will always do harm to your Christian walk, to your Christian life. Some people go round and round the mountain. I can tell you, I know, people, I love you. I pray for every one of you by name, if I know you. I'm praying for people that aren't here today. I'm praying for people that aren't here today because they are offended. I knew the day they walked through the door the first time that they had had the same problem elsewhere. And I would bet money on it. I've never asked anyone. But I already know things about people because I love them so much. And the Lord shares things with me to help them. And if they will stay planted and humble themselves and serve, they will grow and prosper and have dominion in this earth. Otherwise, you don't fail any test with God. You get to take it over. (laughs) Round and round and round we go. Where your pride stops, only you know. (laughs) Bullfrogs and butterflies You know there's a little song Bullfrogs and butterflies And really Paul talks about There's this word in the Bible Metamorpho You know Talking about a metamorphosis Is what happens to us When we're born again And we become more and more like God We're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ Just like a, a caterpillar Coming out of its cocoon It's a beautiful butterfly And then you know, the bullfrog sort of the same thing from the little tadpole. But there's also another type of bullfrogs and butterflies, and they are sort of church hoppers. And they go and they land on a lily pad and they sit there until they're disturbed or offended by something, and then they hop to another one. You see, but no matter where they go, there they are until they decide to mature. It's a choice. You see. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. Philippians 4.13 But we have to be kingdom minded. Not focus on the devil or ourselves. You know, too many times, and, and I hope this isn't a mean message. I'm trying to love on you and just share some truths that will help you. Too many times, especially, I talked to a lot of ministers. I, I was supposed to be at the ministers' conference this past week, but I didn't get to go. But a lot of miracles happened, and a lot of prophecies went down, and I missed it. But maybe next time I'll be there. But I talked to ministers all over the world, and they always talk about Westerners, 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 talking about us. 
We are spoiled. We are very blessed. We are spoiled. And all the things God has blessed us with sometimes get in the way of us and God, really. You know, and we have sort of a microwave mentality, some entitlement issues and things like that. Uh, I think we're getting better to some degree. Some people are getting it's like a, like better, some some way worse. But the church is going to be coming together. It's going to be going to be a beautiful revival that's already in its beginning stages, this third great awakening. And it's going to be great to be a part of the end times bride because it's going to be so fun, so powerful. And uh, amidst all the devastation and, and hurting and loss and suffering in this world, I mean, don't you want to be a part of something that has some good news? The good news and walking in power and victory that you can share. That's why the acronym for this church is help to heal, empower, love and prosper the body of Christ. To go out and help people with the same help that we have received from the Lord. You've received freely, you've received freely give. Amen. And that's exciting to me. But the church has become more about salvation, you know. It's like trying to get people saved. It's like, you're, you're, all, you're already saved. That's why I don't do an altar call. You know, people come in here, religious folks, and it's like, you didn't do an altar call because the Holy Spirit told me there wasn't an unsaved person in the house. Or the two or three that were there, they were so religious, they weren't ready to receive salvation. Or they were still just testing the waters. And that's fine, man. We, we're open to everybody. Whether they're just looking through the window, sticking their toe in the water, or they want to do the whole nest tea plunge. I'm, I'm here, man. <laughs> you know, it's all right. But we need to be moving into the deeper things of God. And whether you know it or not, you're really learning more of the deeper things of God. That You know, there's some churches that they practice only one scripture. They keep their their message on purpose, less than you know, eighteen to twenty eight minutes. One scripture. I'm not feeding. I don't want to have to feed sheep. They're supposed to be feeding themselves. I mean, all kind of weird stuff out there. I don't agree with any of it. It might be saying, well, once in a while, couldn't you just agree with them a little bit so we could get to Luby's before the Baptist? You know, well, <laughs> sometimes maybe. If I got something I needed. If it's hunting season and I got to get going. <laughs> the problem with the most Christians, though, in, a, in the Western civilization, according to some people, not me, but is that they're just too immature. And that's why they keep having to feed on milk instead of. Paul said, There's more I want to tell you, but you, I want to I give you the meat. He said, But you still need milk. <laughs> That's what he told to the whole church. And and I'm not saying that to y'all. You guys are fanatics. You wouldn't be sitting in the VFW for for longer than all the beautiful churches go for. And and I get that. And I'm thankful for all of you. But there's a lot of people listening all over the world. I don't know if you know that. But to this little message recorded in this simple, humble way. Uh, one of my minister friends was pointing that out to me last night. He said, will you? Well, I'm not going to say the nice things he said to me but he was telling me about all the people that were listening you know and because uh, he could see it on the the deal and anyway i said yeah and uh i hope to meet some of them you know and i hope to meet a bunch of them when i get to heaven because i i pray that they come to know the lord but god wants revival more than his people do is is, is the problem so we need to build up expectation and hope and start looking forward to with great excitement the things that God has in store for us because He really is doing something special. You look around here, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. But I'm telling you, right here, whether it's in this place or whether He has put us somewhere else, which He will do in the future, but great things are coming. And and, and it's going to be great just to be a part of it. <laughs> I'll call Him back. One of our boys. <laughs> but Jesus, it shouldn't just be about salvation in the church. You people are already saved, so we, we go further. That's why I'm giving you meat today. This is the real stuff. You know, Jesus talked about salvation one time. You realize that? John 3 3. He said, You have to be born again. 
in John 3, 3. He spoke about the kingdom of God over 80 times. So the emphasis should be on being kingdom minded instead of worldly minded. Don't set your sights on the things of the world. He said the world's passing away. Why does God not want you to be in love or so attached to the things of this world? Because it's all history soon. Yes. Your home is in heaven yes. where it's awesome all the time. And He wants you to be kingdom minded because that's what the power and protection is. And it doesn't have, we don't have to wait till we get there. So we need to keep our focus on Jesus. Stay kingdom minded. Don't get entangled in the foolishness of the world. Remember that the, the enemy is going to continue to try to come against us in various ways. But whatever it is, we'll always have a name. And a, as a blood-bought child of God, you can use that name, which is the name of Jesus, and drive the enemy away. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You know, I looked that up because it, it's like, it's like, it doesn't exactly say, you know, I'm one of those thinkers. So I looked it up and it, it can literally be translated to mean every being Everything in all three realms must bow at the name of Jesus. Now, I said, okay, I can run with that. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) I wrote here, don't forget to pray, William. Jesus loves you. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that you're always with me. You never leave me or forsake me. Thank you, Lord, that you are no respecter of persons and you've done it for all of us. You are with us. You love us. You've got our picture in your wallet. You've given us all authority over the works of the devil. We can use your name. We have pled the blood. Your blood is in heaven in front of all spiritual forces, our Father in heaven, His angels, and all demonic beings. Your blood is in heaven continually crying out on our behalf for mercy. We thank You that You love us so much, Lord, and that You've given us all things pertaining to this life and godliness. And that it is Your will that we be in good health and prosper. So we thank You, Lord, and we receive every good thing that You have for us. We just ask that you help to sharpen our hearing and our vision in the spiritual realm so that we can hear and see exactly what it is that you're saying to us and what you have us to do and to be. And thank you for the grace to be and to do all that you've created for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen.